Hi, I'm Aaron and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, where we explore, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I'll be interviewing the best artists in the game while also taking some time to appreciate some new and classic albums. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming news and guests. Also, don't forget to check out my new Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle that will give you exclusive content and help me keep the show running and getting better. All right, let's get into it. There we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with an incredible artist, Illa G. And if you're not aware of Illa G, Illa G has been in the game for a long period of time. He's got credits with people like Prodigy on Hell on Earth. When you were going under General G uh, on the track, can't get enough of it. Uh, there's just so many tracks that he's part of. Uh, music videos with with the late Prodigy, Sean Price as well. Uh, and one of my favorite mixtapes that you ever did was uh, with uh you know the beats of dj premiere so in terms of the the track record and you've also got a, a brand new album that recently came out as well vocabulary hercules so please make sure you check that out as well but it's a pleasure to have you on the show thank you excuse me much appreciated and by the way i've always been elegy it's just that they messed up and put general g if you listen to the song, I said ill is the name, two guns that look the same. So it's always been ill. So why why did they make that mistake? Because it's it's never been edited, right? I know. No, I, I got locked up and they just prodigy forgot to tell them my name was Illuminati. So who who decided who got that wrong? Was that because Prodigy obviously knew who you were, but was that someone in the label who just made the mistake? He just he just told me he forgot to tell him. And since I said General G, they just put General G. Damn. So that's been sitting. So uh, make sure you you recognize it's Illa G. See, that is the first time I've ever heard that they got the name wrong. Like when you look back at it, because it's an iconic album, like it is, in my opinion, one of the best projects that Havoc and, you know, Prodigy ever did. Um but how do you look back on that experience? I was going to ask you how you look back on, obviously, recording with those two. And at the time, did you realize that what you were producing was going to be so great? Nah, my mind was in a totally different place. Like, I love hip-hop. I love rhyme, and, and But at that time, my mind was in a totally different place. My mind was, I was really, like, kind of deep in the street at the time. So, you know, I mean, I was happy to be on it. And that they kept it because I was supposed to have been on uh, the infamous too, but I got locked up again <clears throat> when everything was transferring from uh, tape to CD. I was on a song called uh, "Up North Trip," and you know, on that song I said "General G," so they just remembered that. That's how it carried over to uh, "Hell on Earth," <clears throat> and <clears throat> and um. Yeah, that's pretty much how that came about. Well, let me ask you about, you know, that time in your life. So you you mentioned that you were locked up a couple of times. What kind of led to that? And how did that change kind of the journey that you were on in terms of your career and how you saw hip hop? Um, I mean, 
at that time, man, like I said, at that time, that journey, I mean, having asked me not to go back out of town, but I wanted to, I left again so I can pay for my demo. Havoc was going to, uh, you know, give me five beats. Uh, the, the guy, Mario Rodriguez, he the one who mastered the album. He was going to mix down my demo for me once I came back. So, you know, I didn't want to ask nobody for money. I was, you know, I was in, I was making illegal money at the time. So I was just like, you know, just let me go one more time to get the money to come back to do the demo. And I got locked up. So, you know, never know what could have happened. I, I just know at that time, my mind state was fully in the street. Uh, you know, I think things happen the way it's supposed to be because really simply, I don't think, you know, mentally I wasn't ready. I was on something different and it would have been, I would have been called the biggest idiot possible at the time. How long were you away for, if you don't mind me asking? Six years. Six years. So obviously a long period of time, a lot happens in the world of hip hop. How does, you know, when you look back on that and during that period of time in your life, what happens that kind of changes your mind state and got you to where you are now? Pretty much learning that the street life is a trap. It's, it's you know, you can't win. It's very, very, you know, pretty much, you know, you know the rules to see the death of jail. And I didn't want to keep going through the process of, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you know, luckily I was one of the people that learned my lesson that time. And it was just like, all right, well, just, you know, go hard with the music stuff and see what happens. Well, it's clear that you obviously had the skill set to make it work. You know, obviously Prodigy, Havoc, those people recognize that skill set, but how long did it take you for real to realize it yourself? I mean, once I got locked up, you know, it's a lot of things that woke me up that, you know, what I was doing is crazy and my mindset was crazy. So, you know, I always, I always knew I wrote rounds just, you know, I, I just wanted to freestyle on the radio. Actually, that was the main thing is just like, you know, I believe uh, it was like Molly Mullen, Pete Rock, show or something on the radio up here and i just wanted to kill the radio that's it and did you ever get to that point where you were on the radio or did you just change your goals in terms of what you were looking for it kind of by the time i came home you know everything was sort of changed it was still you know there were stations out of town you know they would let me rhyme on here and there or you know xm radio stuff like that but you know that's that's it. And so when you got out of prison, what was that like? Like you obviously get out, you've experienced a lot, you've changed the mindset, and now you realize that obviously you want to get back into the music industry, you want to make a go of it. How do you start that journey? Just looking and learning, like going to studio sessions, ask questions, and just look and learn. You know, watching them put together a project, showed me how to put together a project. You know, I know they was busy, so, you know, maybe I should have asked, but, you know, I didn't want to be like a burden, you know, Havoc still, you know, sometimes, you know, he gave me a few beats or whatever, or, you know, Havoc is harsh on himself in creating beats. So, 
you know, a lot of times Havoc would make something I think was like super crazy. And, you know, I, I've seen him a couple of times be like, nah, it's too easy. And would try to find something else. And we'd be like, yo, no, you crazy? Like, let me get that one. And, you know, he'll just be like, nah, it's too easy. Well, why do you think that is? Because that is the story that Prodigy says in his book is that when Shook One's part two, probably and arguably one of the most famous beats of all time in hip hop history, when he first mm-hmm. made it, he wasn't pleased with it. But Prodigy was the one who was like, this is amazing. Like, you have to, we have to use this beat. But why do you think he wasn't able to almost recognize his own brilliance? Artists is usually. Artist is usually the your worst critic. You know, something you have envisioned in your mind, and if it don't come out like that, you're usually the worst critic. Havoc almost erased Shook once. His finger was on a button. Twin grabbed his wrist. Well, he almost erased Shook once part two. He almost, he, he almost erased it. Twin grabbed his wrist and was like, what are you doing? Like, done. So were you there during that, that period of time? Like, were you hanging around with Prodigy? I was in the street. I wasn't around that day, but I was in the street. Yeah. I was, you know, doing my my uh, idiot thing at the time. Well, to be honest, I'm really happy they didn't get rid of that beat because you don't know what the the impact of hip hop would have been at that time. But it's like it's crazy to me that someone who you know you look at and go, and I look at and go, they're brilliant, and they still you know have that inner critic, but. I guess it's you're right at that point when you have a vision for what you want, it doesn't come out exactly. You can't see the thing that you've actually created. Yeah. I mean, I've been looking at, I've looked at a lot of, I remember I used to like to watch uh, one hit wonders and stuff like that on MTV and a lot of hit songs, a lot of artists didn't like it or it almost didn't make the album. So, you know, that gave me a different outlook on things, but, yeah, I mean that is that is incredible how that mostly happened numerous times with different artists. Well, how do you overcome that? As you said, artists are the biggest critic, but how do you stop yourself from shooting yourself in the foot? It takes time. It takes time. Like uh, like when I first, came, you know, me and my friend was just talking about this last night. You know, in the beginning, like I'm I'm a sucker for you know. A guitar and piano so you know a lot of times I would try to pick those type of beats and you know also you know I like grimy beats or so on and so forth and then you just can't you know don't be afraid man don't be afraid like I don't even tell before I used to tell people that you know the beat was trash and so on and so I don't even say that no more because uh you know you don't know what beat to take you out of here you know, you don't know which ones would, would would spark off and go to a different stratosphere. Bless the dead. Shorty Lowe didn't think uh, Laffy Taffy. He put up the money for Laffy Taffy. What's the name? D4L's his cousin. He was like, that's not it. And his cousin was like, it is. And Laffy Taffy put them on the map. You know, a lot of people didn't think their songs would, would go. And... Do you think that it has something to do with who they perceive themselves to be? Like the sound that they're using is not a usual sound or a sound that they're not gen- gen- like genuinely comfortable with? Uh, no, I don't think it. I don't think it's that. It's just you know, 
Sometimes you, you just have a feeling in your gut when you just like a song, you know, something that, you know, a lot of us don't know it's not up to us. We could put the song together, but it's the crowd that'll tell you if it's a hit or not. So it's the fans that do that. So that's an interesting sentiment because it's almost like, you know, you make it, but you never know what'll what'll come. Never know. So how do you accept something like that? Because it's like, you know, I'm sure for every artist, for for myself as well, you know, every time I do an episode, I'm like, all right, this is what I love about it. This is what I think I could have improved on. And you have that critic, but how do you overcome it to be like, you know what, I'm making this art and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. You, you answer the question yourself. You make the art, <laughs> you just see what happens. You know, you just got to live and die with your decision with the beat choice you made, the words you read, how the chorus was all put together, how it was mixed. You just, you know, especially as an independent owner, you just got to live and die with your art. You know, it may take off, it may touch someone special, may not do anything, but you just got to, you know, keep moving on. You know, the, the, the saying is you always one hit away when you making music. Well, that is obviously uh, empowering and not empowering all at the same time. It's interesting how, you know, you can be like always one hit away, but you never know which song will be the hit. That's the challenge. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I was going to ask you, how was it working with Prodigy? Because, you know, when I listen to his book and I listen to the audio book and I hear his voice and, you know, you get the character of who he is and kind of the energy that he brings. But how was it actually working with him, knowing him as an individual? Um, you know, obviously he, he's passed away now, but when you look back, how was it being, you know, really close with him? I mean, it was it was an experience. I'm glad to to experience his energy on this planet. Um, you know, we had, you know, we would talk a lot, you know, because uh, pretty much his blessed the dead, his grandmother's house in Long Island was like the home base. And, you know, we'd go out there, chill and talk and, you know, get high, smoke weed and everything. And, you know, we remember, I remember when, people was buzzing about Nas and we was just like, yo, we're going to sound like nobody. You know, we just got to make sure, you know, we do things different. And, you know, that's what we set out to do. So, you know, also we enjoyed how each other rhymed. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we used to, we used to use things to get, you know, get each other hype. Plus we had that, that friendly competitive competition, you know, you want to have the best verse on the song. So we used to, I mean, at one point in time, we were saying outlandish shit. And, you know, I can see that groomed us into how, you know, we was rhyming like, you know, until it's passing and how I rhyme today. Well, the, the cool thing is that like, you know, I look at his life experience. I look at your life experience. And without that, you wouldn't have the number one, the content of what you're talking about in your tracks throughout your career. And in terms of prodigy, 
he also said that literally everything he lived influenced and inspired the way he rhymed and what he was doing in music. So, you know, as much as that behavior and, you know, I listened to some of the things that Prodigy was doing and in terms of things that you're talking about in terms of the streets, like as much as that behavior you don't condone now, without that, you don't become the artist who you are today. I mean, you still got to learn how to hone it and how you're going to put it together because like a lot of my earlier work, I would never, I would never talk about the street. You know, I mean, um, it took me a while to learn how to project that of, you know, how I, you know, cause there's certain things I just can't say. And I, you know, the, you know, the rule is, you you know, you don't try to get yourself locked up. You want to express it, but, you know, to me, it always felt like telling. So it took me a long time, like right now, like uh, I would say, you know, certain things, I would say things here and there about, you know, things that went on or how I felt about it. But now it's like, now I honed the whole thing. I mean, people don't even know a lot of uh, the, the project, the whole half of it. That was me, you know, talking about my street life. But I don't think they got it. So, you know, quite a few songs on this one. I, I learned to go back to, philo I call him philosophy, Ella, where I would do philosophy. And then I learned how to take what I was thinking and what I was feeling in my mind at the times of certain street situations and put them together. Also come down and simplify it so it can be relatable and people can understand it. Well, is that probably the, the advice for people who are talking about their own experience as well, that it's a challenge between, you know, obviously when you live that situation, it's complicated. It's got, so many different people involved there's so many different elements but then when you put it into a you know three to five minute track you got to condense it and make it simple enough but also complex enough for people to see the story yeah you know before um before i was just do you know they call it a lot of people probably today call it braggadocious or bravado but it's really you know in hip-hop it's called ego tripping where i would pretty much brag you know, about my rhyme style, how my flow is. And, you know, I would mix street stuff with the poetry of hip hop. And I would say my words would rob you and my words could rob a bank or whatever, or whatever it could do. But it seemed like people didn't hear my words. They would just hear rob, shoot, kill. And it's just like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, I became a gangster rapper, I guess. That's that's what they chose to call it. Well, how do you feel about hip hop having, you know, they obviously has the genre of gangster rap and a lot of people, or there are some people who still haven't really, you know, accepted that part of what hip hop does or what that part of the culture is. And, you know, they listen to, like you said, the buzzwords, the murder, the rob, the the kill like they listen to that but they don't listen to the context so how do you kind of view that kind of lack of really understanding of what the music really stands for i mean that's the people that just that's all they hear they don't that's you know 
pretty much that's why I made uh, the project called Social Graffiti. Because what we do is graffiti. And to the naked eye, all they see is the filth. All they see is just a, a, you know, a bunch of squiggly lines. They're not a part of the culture. If you sit and listen and be a part of the culture, you'll start seeing the beauty in the artwork. You'll start seeing the letters in the graffiti and notice that it is a word that is, you know, and colorful and different and structured different. So that's how I take it, you know. Yeah, I think very much so that it is like, especially because hip hop as a genre and as a culture is extremely complex in terms of obviously its roots, what it's done in terms of for people. And now we're seeing really the explosion into real mainstream culture. Like in the nineties, that's where the big jump came. And then now we're seeing with social media that it is literally, you know, all anyone's talking about and hip hop is now, you know, in sport. And we had obviously with, uh, Michael Jordan getting the the Jordans and then the sneakers and the way people dress and it just kind of really evolved. Yeah, yeah. But once you sign a deal, it's not hip hop anymore. Why do you say that? Because it's rap. Rap is the business. Hip hop is what you feel in your heart. Hip hop is the culture. Hip hop, you would do it whether you're signed or unsigned or if you have money or not. So that's the culture. You know, a lot of breakdancers, breakdancers don't get paid. So they still do it anyway. You know what I'm saying? It's not, that's that's just the culture. So when you get signed to a major deal, that's rap. Because it's a business, you have to have something to be put on the radio for us to push this record further. That's like alternative rock and rock. Rock is the hardcore, rock is the culture. You know, they're everything. Alternative rock, they have to make those songs to be on the radio. It's a different thing. So let me ask you this. How how do you view where the culture is at at the moment? Obviously, you've got a lot of unsigned artists making, you know, hip-hop tracks. They're obviously wanting to get signed. Where is it at in your view in terms of where the culture sits versus where the business sits? I mean, it's blurred, pretty much blurred because, you know, it's like, yeah, you you know, the goal is to make a living from the music. But for some people, how far would they go to get there? Some people will sell their soul to get there. Some people want that control. Like some people want to still be able to say what they need to say and, you know, have that not not their their vision not have their vision pretty much blocked you know so the the lines are really blurred because yes there's some of the the culture a lot of the culture has leaked into different places and things and people and so on and so forth and it's just like you know everybody wants a piece of it but nobody like really knows the history and you know, the beginnings and, you know, who who was like the forefathers of it. Yeah. Well, I think the real challenge is that hip-hop today is so different from hip-hop when it originated. Like when I look at the original sounds of what was being done, it's jumped tenfold. It's almost unrecognizable in terms of a genre. It's almost formed so quickly. And I think, you know, in terms of even 
you know, for me and my favorite era is the 90s, early 2000s. I was born in 94. So, you know, I started listening to that type of music. It's still. You were born in 94? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, you know, I wasn't even aware of hip hop, you know, in the 90s while I was living in the 90s. I only became aware, you know, much later down the track. But, you know, for me, that sound has always been a sound that I really can connect with. To me, the lyricism is the best at that point in time. Um, but like now, even I look at it and I'm like, it's completely different. It's almost like the genres have split uh, apart, but the, the kind of the movement has been amazing as well. Yeah. Where do you see hip hop going next? I don't know. I mean, it's still gonna be that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy that there's a, a point where you can choose your favorite era of hip hop. Now, I'm very proud of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, a lot of the guys, the new artists that rap and do rap music, a lot of them, you know, I probably don't get there. You know, I, I'm probably not a fan of their stuff. You know, everybody still has one or two songs that I like, but, you know, sometimes you want to hear somebody say something or say something pretty much relatable or, you know, a story rhyme or something. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know where it could go or, you know, that's a difficult answer. That is a totally difficult answer because, you know, I wouldn't expect this after, you know, coming from the 90s and see how, you know, I didn't expect this to be like this, you know, to for like, you know, trap music to be the norm or whatever they call it. I don't even know what they call it now. Yeah, I think they still call it trap or at least I definitely call it trap. But I mean, for me right now, it's all about blending the modern sound but still having lyricists. What I struggle with is, you know, listening to a lot of, you know, I think mumble rap is a thing of the past. It was like a very short period of time that people were just mumbling, but now they, the content just seems to be lacking for something that I personally connect with. But when you get someone who's delivering content with an interesting instrumental and also blending a modern beat, those are the tracks that I can connect with. Cause I'm like, I can see what you're doing. People like Conway the Machine to me uh, are doing a fantastic job. Uh, people like Benny the Butcher to me are doing a fantastic job. The whole Griselda crew. So, I mean, the people are still out there. I think it's just we're getting lost in terms of being able to pick apart the real, you know, gems versus what is mainstream. Right. Yeah, totally. I agree. So do you have anyone that you're watching right now in terms of hip hop artists that are kind of in that space that you're like, I think that they're doing it the right way or anybody that you're like, obviously other than yourself, but do you hear people using the modern sounds that you're like, all right, I can see how this is working. Right. Not, not really so much the modern sounds, you know, some of us are probably do things to say, okay, I just want to show you that I can do it but I just choose not to do it. But, um, I mean, are, are you saying the modern sounds as of trap music, like using trap beats? Yeah, like hi-hats. Yeah. 
Nah, nobody. I mean, I like, I, 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 I think the baby said something. You know, I've, I've listened to a couple of certain, and he's, you know, really talking about certain things. You know, I like the baby. And uh, other than that, it's pretty much people that's so-called underground. Well, I'm going to say, and, you know, they're not using they're not using the hi-hats or trap music, really. Well, did you listen to, I thought I might ask, came to the top of my head, but did you have a listen at Kanye's new album? And if so, what did you think of it? Um, obviously, you know, biggest hype of the year almost as opposed to Drake. Didn't listen to it. I'm not interested in listening to it. Why is that? Not a Kanye fan anymore. He was cool. I mean, he was cool in the beginning because he was like a, you know, sort of assholeish, and I kind of like the arrogance of that. But you know, he changed into something. I mean, it's you know, artists grow to what they want to be. I have no desire to listen what he does now. Well, I kind of agree to be honest, uh, because to me. Kanye right now is not the same Kanye of the past in the sense of, again, it goes back to the era of music that I personally liked and I liked his earlier albums. I liked the production that he had on those albums when it was, again, more hip hop, whereas now it's kind of really gone in a different direction. And I think that album personally was overhyped. Like there are a couple of tracks which are okay. There are a couple of tracks which I would listen to again, but it's not like a classic album to me i would never listen to the full album again it didn't really <laughs> hit me that way um but you know i think he just sold it really well i think his him as a business person is one of the best <laughs> and then i look at jay-z as well and you know he's shown like you said that like hip-hop and business they're they're very much interlinked these days mm-hmm. right well how do you view kind of the way people are making money off hip hop these days, because obviously, you know, artists are not, you know, getting all the plaudits and then you've got studios making a lot of money and you've got, you know, people signing deals and then you've got people acting. So it's really opened up the avenue in terms of where the hip hop genre can go and make money. But how do you view that? I think it's a beautiful thing. I want to see people make as much money as possible. You know what I'm saying? Especially when they when they held the destiny in their hands and they did it, you know, how they, they did it, how they got it. Um, I think contract-wise, I think the 360 deal is a terrible thing. Um, you know, I believe artists should, should, you know, get at least $4.00 you know, every, every project they do on these labels, but. So what's a 360 deal? 360 deal is that the label get a part of everything that you do. You know, once they sign you, if you get a deal with Coca-Cola, they get a piece of it. You do a movie, they do a piece, they get a piece of it. Every show you do, they get a piece of it. And so what, and then the $4 deal that you were saying, what's the difference between the two? Because, uh, all right, every um, every album for signed artists has 100 points, and each point is $0.08. Cent. And a lot of artists maybe only get two points on an album. So they only get $0.16 cent for every album. So. Wow. 
That is not a lot. Especially when you find out that, you know, you know, if a album goes gold, the label made six million dollars. Yeah, wow. So what's the benefit these days, especially now in your mind, of signing with a label versus going independent where you can make a hundred percent of the profit? Yeah. If you can take off on your own, stay that way. Because they, you know, that way you have everything and you don't need to sell as much to make a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? You could do, you know, if you could sell independently 30,000, you did a lot. You you did a lot because if you do 30,000 times 10 and you don't have to split it with no one, that's a great thing. But if you're signed, and you don't look like you would have to know pretty much the game a little bit to really talk and fight and negotiate for the maximum you can get. You know, they, you know, they've been doing this a lot longer. So somewhere along the line, you probably slip up and miss something, but it's so much you would have to put in the contract stipulations and all these things that, you know, that they could never you know, something that, that they can't, you know, dispute and where you have more power than they do. But that's pretty harsh with, uh, you know, people who are coming from poverty and once they see money, they don't really care about negotiating. They just, you know, people just want to feel like they've, they've made it. So do you think that people are attracted to the status of being signed versus the reality? Of course. Of course, it's it's a thing like when you don't know better and you're coming from poverty, you know, you want to take care of your mother and people that helped you along the way. And uh, it's, yeah, it's like, yo, I, I need that now. And they don't think about it still to this day, even with YouTube and people telling you, yo, study contract, get a lawyer, get a lawyer, whatever it is. They still do the same thing. I think they get attracted to, like you said, uh, the you know they you get taken out for dinner. You know they they have you know a fancy room. They show you they show you all the good stuff. It's like when you're getting a job for the first time. They show you they're selling you on the business, and then when you actually work for them, that's when you're like, this is not what I saw at the very beginning. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, in- one, moment, one moment, let me get my plug. My phone is almost dying. <laughs> oh, good man. You definitely wouldn't be the first person to have an iPhone die in the middle of these chats. So I completely understand. It's weird. These videos, they they just suck up battery life. Yeah, the heat on the phone. There we go. You know. Yeah. Sometimes you can't live with without technology, but you can't live with it at the same time. That's kind of how I feel about tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, because uh, I mean, you know, I see the ways it help and I see the ways it hurt. So, well, I think these days, you know, weirdly enough, like the I think everyone's addicted to their phones. Like I'm personally, like I know I'm addicted to my phone. I have my phone always within arm's reach of me. And you always know where your phone is. And if you feel like you lost it, you're like, where is it? So I think, you know, 
just one of these things that we've been integrated with it. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I look at it like I, I normally play like I play chess a lot on my phone. Like I'm addicted to chess, so I like doing that when I'm not doing anything. You know, you or you just think of things to whatever. You know, now I now I film my own videos with my phone, so gotta have it. Gotta have it. So let me ask you about chess because this is something that I didn't expect. I don't think anyone expects anyone to play chess, to be honest. It's not one of these games where, you know, everyone talks about it, but why chess? Where did it come from? And, you know, how long have you been playing it? I've been playing chess since when I got locked up in 96. Yeah, that's when I started playing chess and learning about it and, you know, I, you know, it's, for me, it's like fighting without fighting. It's, it's like, I can, I can go to war with somebody and no one really dies. Like, you know, you learn strategies and things could change in a second, you, you know, the wrong decision and it's over, you know, you can get destroyed, piled on, like everything, like, you know, and then you can see the people who really don't know what the hell they're doing. And you know they just move in pieces, so I, I I'm not gonna lie, I love that damn thing. I love chess. So do you study chess as well? Like, do you like find strategies? Because like I think with Queen's Gambit, which recently came out, everybody started getting into it. But obviously, you know there are various openings, there are various endings, there are various strategies. Do you look at that and how to improve your own game? Yeah, you're making me reveal my secret, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. I actually, I actually do. I actually do. I, I study to learn different openings, and you know, yeah, man. Like, whoever see this, a lot of people that I beat already, they're be like, "Oh, this dude cheating. He's really sad." Yeah, but I, I, do. I do. That's not cheating. If you're learning, that's not cheating. It's like it's like I, saying someone I, you practice I, basketball. I I love the, the secret of surprise. They'd be like, oh, you can really play. And I just look at them like they're retarded, like I told you. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, I'm Russian, so we kind of grew up with it. But my grandfather, uh, who passed away, he was he was really good with numbers, and he was mm -hmm. obsessed with chess. Like, he, would, he had all these books that he would read through and – he literally would study it and he would play himself. He would have the Ooh. chess pieces and he would put himself and he would try. And honestly, I remember looking at just the way his mind worked and just how he solved problems in the game. And it, it is really impressive. Yeah. They got, they got chess puzzles that I look at. I try to do uh, at least four to five chess puzzles a day. And it helps you because you know, in jail, we do, you don't play in time. So on the game, there's a time limit. And then, you know, it, that part of the game is like, yeah, I want to get better with time. And, you know, trying to figure things out and have an idea of what you want to do in a short period of time. Because, you know, there's a couple of games that I was winning, but I lost on time. I ran out of time. So it's still a slug. You know, no matter if it's time or not, it's still a slug. So, yeah. 
and the the I like I still look at it and go, I don't know how anybody invented that game because yeah. no two games are the same. There, you can yeah. play hundreds of thousands of games and they'll all be different. You know, unless you've got like a two move or four move checkmate, you know, those kind of classic ones. But other than that, if you're playing a legitimate game, they're all going to be different. Right. And that's the that's the dopeness part of it. Because somebody could do something and, you know, that that it was, you wasn't ready for. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, right now at this point, I'm learning two different openings for white and for black, I'm pretty much studying those two openings and trying to get that together. And before I move on to something else. Well, do you have a preference of going first to second? Don't matter. Don't matter. It's the strategy. It's to set up the, uh, in the beginning. Do you, you have know, people I, that challenge you though? The, the people find out you play chess and I, now they're I, like, I, I, I mean, I got people that talk tried. I've I've played quite a few people, but if I beat them with you know with the jail skills, I know they can't fuck with me now. But I have only like one or two friends that play. Other people that want to play, I already know. Like, you know, I played them before. They're not going to make my game better, so I don't play them. You're at that level now where you can pick and choose who you play because you're you're too good. Let me tell you very clearly, if you played me, you'd wipe the floor with me. I have what, what I think is basic level chess skills. Like I get the game, I know the rules, I know how the pieces move, but I haven't played for a long time. And I think, yeah. The- right, now, right now I'm like rated as like an 1100 type player. I want to get better though. Let me ask you, if you were good enough, would you go and compete? I would try. I would try. I mean, that was like, you know, if I would have knew about chess when I was younger, <clears throat> I probably would probably be a grandmaster by now. But I learned pretty late. And, you know, I'm learning so much still going into it, you know. I do want to. I do want to go higher in, in the ratings. So, I'd love to you see know. that. I'd love to see you compete with you know a gangster rapper playing chess. You know, learnt chess in prison. I just love the story of just that whole <laughs> narrative. It would be so cool. I think you know it would just be one of these. Just it's like a fairy tale story. Like literally the last person you would expect to to become uh, a grandmaster or a champion. Yeah, I'm rooting for you, man. I, I'm hoping that out of everything that happens, and then we said it here first. Yeah, that would be dope. That definitely would be dope because I would talk shit like you know, uh, the genius play. You know, I want to probably you know catch him one day. You know, the genius is pretty good. Uh, I don't know how the RZA plays. I know I think the RZA plays too, but you know. I've seen the Jizzle play a uh, uh, grandmaster. I think the grandmaster only had like two minutes and the genius had 10, something like that. There you go. See, the, the thing about hip hop, which I love is like the people like yourself, like it inspires 
all these different things. Like it's not just about the music and, you know, something that I wanted to ask about the chess was like, how do you think chess has influenced the music or how do you think it's influenced you as an individual in terms of your own growth? Oh, if you hear, if you listen to some songs, there's chess, a lot of chess references in there, you know, in certain things, you know, move like a bishop, you know, treating people like a pawn. You know, you say, oh, you know, you say a lot of things. Angles and, you know, it's, you, you gotta, the thing, the thing about me, which is, I compare everything to street life. That's how I understand everything. So chess is just like a, a war to me. It's like, a, <laughs> that's how I make it excited. I, I turn it into like a, a street fight or a street war. You know, I have to, you know, catch the big guy, the king. Got to shut him down. And, you know, you use your team with the pawns and everything. Pawns can be powerful at a certain part, especially the end game. Well, I was something that I just came to my mind was when you played people who are not that good at chess, is there a thing that kind of limits their ability? Is there, you know, something that they hold on to? Is it a piece or is it just a lack of understanding of how the game should be played? Like, where do you think people go wrong? Um, sometimes it's like I didn't know chess was really that deep. And sometimes, you know, they make too many decisions or the pressure, like you can see pressure, make them, it happened to me too. You know what I'm saying? You can make the wrong decision and it can end, you could get ended like that. You know, so it's like, you got to scope the board and understand, you got to look, I need to anticipate what you're going to do. And even if you don't do what I expect you to do, you know, I still got to prepare for that. Yeah. And the, the thing about the grandmasters is that they can see, you know, 10, 20 moves ahead for what could because possibly it's, happen. Yeah. It's, and they got to study all things. They got to study. If you take the pawn, they got to study if you don't take the pawn. So they have to see, you know, what if you move this? You know, so they got to prepare themselves just in case you do it. They already have their move sculpted to, for what's next. So yeah. that's what, and to do it fast, because I believe the Grandmaster Games is only like three minutes. So you got to do it fast. Yeah, wow. And they lose a lot of weight playing as well, because the the mental exertion is that, you know, intense that like, you know, it is all your focus like it is they train for it like it's a sport yeah yeah they got people that help them and you know they study old chess games and everything so they they look at grand champions that played each other and somebody how they took the tournament look at all the old games you know a lot of people have a chart well they have it on the computer now where they chart all your moves that you do and to tell you your blunders, your mistakes, you got me revealing a lot of stuff on here. <laughs> well, I think, to be honest, most of my listeners aren't chess fanatics. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't cater towards the chess community that heavily. So maybe maybe I'll get a new type of listener. We, we can Maybe this has opened up 
a whole new segment. It's just talking about chess with Illa G. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, moving away from chess because I don't want you to reveal all your secrets. I still Thank want you. you want you to 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 keep getting better and and improve without people starting to scope you. But talk to me about Sean Price because Sean P is one of those figures in hip hop and you know iconic in the sense of what he was delivering lyrically his voice as well but how did your relationship with him begin and and where did you come across one another um it pretty much this would happen i seen a article or an interview somewhere down the line that said that Illogy and Sean Price have similar styles. Now, me personally, I don't think so. I think Sean sounds like Sean and I sound like me. And so I was like, okay. So we was uh, we used to use the same studio in Manhattan. And uh, I seen him one day and was like, yo, you know, I told him about the article and I was like, yo, we should do a song together. He was like, cool, let's do it. You know, we'll figure it out. Also, we have a mutual friend, of, you know, in D.C. from uh, my people. They, their name is Team Demo, J.D. You know, J.D. talks to, talk to Sean a lot, too. And he was like, yo, you should get up with Ella. You should do a song. So Sean didn't like me at first. So he, he used to call me the hold you down guy. He was like, who, the hold you down dude? He's like, I don't think I'm going to like him. You know, his face looks like it's on all the time. So, you know, people say I have a mean face, so on and so forth, but I look unapproachable. So, but, you know, that happened and we wound up doing the song. And then, you know, we still was bumping into each other, different places, so on. And then I really, after that, I just know we just pretty much started hanging out and doing songs. Sean never liked to say, let's do an album. He just be like, let's record. And we would just record songs, record songs, record songs. Then after a while, he'd be like, how many songs we got? All right, let's pick the best 10 and put it out. Do something with it. So I would say Prodigy like was like the industry side to that experience. And Price was independent. And it showed me a different thing about being an independent artist with Price. And do you have a preference now? Do you have the style that you prefer? Now with, um, like, I love how I rhymed on this project on Vocabulary Hercules. You know, before I would, you know, try to be super lyrical as possible, but I don't think a lot of people was getting it. And, you know, sometimes it would kind of frustrate me. But now I figure I'm at a happy medium. Like I said, it's like simple. You can hear it. I believe you can relate to the things that I'm saying now. Plus, I had, you know, went back to philosophy to, you know, put it all together. So I'm very happy with the way I'm rounding now. Yeah, I think the project is is really good. And I'm a big fan of the artwork as well, the that you've chosen for the album cover. So I'm a fan of that. Um, But I was going to ask as well, you know, when you're cutting tracks, when you're going, let's pick the best 10, 
how difficult is that? And how difficult was it with, with Sean as well? Because, you know, it's like if I was to choose my 10 best podcasts, it would be so difficult for me because I, you know, you have that emotional attachment to them. So how is that process? I mean, you just try to, you, you pick, I don't know. I pick the ones that make my face scrunch up and I'm listening to what I'm saying. And I'm just like, like, this is strong. I feel people will dig it. But then, you know, then there are certain ones you like, ah, uh, you, I mean, at a certain point, you can hear them. At a certain point, you can hear them. You can hear the ones be like, it's dope, but it don't have that air of next level, at least in your opinion. So once you decipher those, it's like, all right, this one. You know, it's, it's not the same. I don't try to pick to say the same things. Oh, you want you want something different. You want something, you know, just like, you know, I have you and me, which is a story rhyme, and I have uh gold soap, which is um, you know, just saying my stuff is on the next level. Um, I have credit cards where you know it's like ego tripping plus, you know, you learning something with the chorus, you know, it's about me learning about money. Yeah, I'm trying to buy a house with a credit card. Like, that's a different level. Hopefully that sparks something to somebody to look into that. You know, we got, you know, my people, uh, my artists, you know, Pretty Bully and Fever. We're pretty Bully, we got dreams. Talk about the dreams we have, you know, how to be to get where we want to go. And with Fever, we got love, got hate. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people want to, you know, they say they show love to you. But really, they, they really hate you for your success or seeing you doing something positive. So it's a whole different thing. You, you know, you try to pick things that different. Of course, you naturally want to have me as an MC. I naturally want to have ego tripping things in there. But, you know, I've, I've done that so long. Now it's time for me to get people to understand and hopefully they relate where I'm coming from when I'm talking about certain topics. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good plan because I do agree that a lot of hip hop is not relatable because, you know, when you are, you know, braggadocious, when you are ego tripping, then it's like, I, like people like the vibe, but there's only so many times I can hear somebody say I'm the best in the world until you're like, you know, give me something different and prove it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's the way you say you're the best in the world. You know, I like using words that I felt didn't go together. And to say outlandish things that, you know, it was just like, you know, I know they could get this. Like, I was like, am I paying attention to, like, too much history and art and all these other things and throwing it together? Like. You know, I'm using double entendres with similes and things together. And it's just like, yeah, I don't get that. You hear like, you know, a thing that you think you like, oh, this is these four bars. I killed it. But something you say simple and you like, yeah, I like that. Did y'all not hear that? Like you did not hear that. You like that. Oh, you're killing me. You know? 
And it's just like, uh, all right, for example, right? Um, when me and Sean, bless his soul, did figure more. For me, I believe the first four bars or six bars, whatever the hell I said, I believe like I, I dropped a nuclear bomb on earth. Right? I said, Grand Theft Auto Animal Arch Nemesis. Elegy speaks latitudes and kill witnesses. I don't know if people know what latitude is. I know I know what it is. No, I'm a, I'm a fucking felon for crying out loud. And I know what latitude is. I believe everybody went to school. So how can I know what latitude? You know, Elegy speaks latitude and kill witnesses. Mr. Myrtle Avenue rap until you picture it. Piss poor writing with a pissed off penmanship. Original war, metaphors are called syphilis. Grip of four, four, figure four, the flawed pyramids. How can you put a pyramid in a figure four? Do you know how bad you have to be? That's being braggadocious without saying I'm the best. How can you put a pyramid in a figure four leg lock? Rip you in the jaw, which you know, rip me to spit a stench and called syllabus, rape you with a saw, sex intercourse, incubus, illa. And I'm like, that's it. I destroyed everything. The planet is not the same. And you know what everybody likes? The bars after this. I'm like, murder in the mezzanine and histamine, black apocalyptic mystery. Do you know what it is? I actually have a theory on this because I'm guilty of this as well. When bars are too good, it takes multiple listens for you to appreciate it because the metaphors go over your head. The wordplay doesn't hit you the first time. You've got to go back to it. And, you know, I that happens to me a lot. I listen to artists like Sahai the Prince and I listen to what he's doing and then there's, a part of the track where I'm like, that is amazing. And then I listen to it five times later and I'm like, I found something new to appreciate because I missed it the first time when you, and I think that's the challenge is like, you know, when you write it, you can, you're planning it. And then the listeners just like, it's too deep. And then they listen to it second, third, fourth, fifth time. Then they're like, okay, now I get it. Holy shit. How did I miss it the first time? I think that's what the challenge is. And then you've got bars that, you know, you said yourself, you don't think are as good. They're still good, but it's easier to consume. And then everyone's like, that shit's dope. I think that is essentially the struggle of like the artist and the listener is the listener needs multiple times to digest it. And to be actually like, I actually heard what they said in, in that listen. Right. So like I said, I brought, everything down, simplify. Because I, I remember, bless us old prodigy used to say, yo, you need to dumb it down. And I'm like, are you crazy? They understand this stuff. Like, uh, this is when I first, first came home from jail. He was like, son, it's dope. I understand it. But you're going to have to bring that down. Like, bring it down. Bring it down. People are not going to. I'm like, no, 
Like I felt like a brat. I'm like, no, they're going to understand. I know they're going to get it. He was like, telling you, bring bring it down. And I kind of listened. Like uh, one of my first projects I did, Murder and Truth, I, I, I uncomfortably toned it down. And then, you know, even though I got uh, like MTV in 2007, like MTV.com, they called it like, you know, one of the best projects of that year. I, I felt disgusted. Like I, I just, it was too simple of rhyming. There's only one song, like one or two songs on Murder and Truth that I really felt like myself. And one was called Eye Level. And pretty much I wrote that rhyme in jail. And I believe it's a song I did with Alchemist. Or, yeah, I had to, I had another song I believe would have it. It was called Pick His Face Up and No One Got It. Everybody thought I was talking about shooting somebody in the face and had nothing to do with that. It was about having somebody defeated. And, you know, you tell your people, like, pick his face up. I want you to see who did this to you. And pretty much everybody I played it for was just like, oh, I thought you was talking about shooting somebody in the face. It's like, no, wasn't that. You know, I wonder if a lot of this is what we as the listener attribute the metaphors. You know what I mean? Like you have an intention of what it means and then I put my own spin on it and I'm like, oh, that's what it means. When in reality it's, and maybe that's hip hop in general, why it has been misunderstood is that we're looking for the grime. We're looking for the darkness. When in reality, I'm sure if we looked for the positive messaging, the interpretation would be really different. Yeah, because, you know, of course, people judge the book by its cover, you know, for the fact that, you know, um, my ex-con coming home from jail rapping, you know, I'm mixing these things. I do know the history of hip hop and, you know, I am mixing things of my life, you know, that I've done in there and everything, but I'm trying not to. You know, because I remember um, one time I was rhyming. I, I've said this on probably like a different show, different listening, but um, me and Cannabis rhymed. And, you know, this is my boy had had cannabis before everybody. <clears throat> it was His name was Jamel. And we rhymed in East New York and, you know, we rhymed a long time. Cannabis was rhyming the way he rhymed. I was rhyming the way I rhymed. And I was saying a lot of street stuff, like a lot of street stuff, like things that I learned, the rules and so on and so forth. And I remember one of my cousin's people pulled me to the side, you know, after we finished and was like, yo, you're going to get somebody killed with the stuff you're saying. And then maybe I was like, really? He was like, yo, you're saying a little too much. So that's why I backed away from speaking street life stuff in my rounds. So that's when I started changing with my words will hold a nine meter or a nine millimeter or my flow will hold a nine millimeter or, you know what I'm saying? This, you know, 
I would put either my flow, my words, or my style would do everything. And like I said before, no one heard my words, my flow, my style. They heard gun, shoot, kill. That's it. With, you know, the other stuff I was saying. So, Well, do you think that would have happened? Do you think that, you know, looking back, what you wanted to say at the time, what you were saying, do you think it really would have got someone killed? Could you see that? Or do you think that it was a bit of a I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of rules to street life. If you're not in that life, like, you really need to, there's things you need to know. I mean, I don't know, but, <clears throat> you know, it was just like, it was almost like, like stuff like the for us like like the mafia like yo this is ours this is a secret if you're not in this world you don't need to know that makes more sense i mean i've said on this podcast very clearly that i'm not that's not my life and i don't come from from living that life so for me it's like i'm just intrigued and want to learn all about it because it's just so interesting and people's journey in it is so interesting to me so i mean yeah. Look, man, uh, I only have one more question for you, to be honest. Uh, and it's probably the hardest question that I ever asked on the podcast. It's the only question that I actually plan on the show. Uh, and it is really simply this. Uh, if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, doesn't have to be hip hop. Obviously, it can't be your own work. What would it be? It can be any genre at all. I can't say, I can't say album. I don't think I can say album. There's quite a few songs. I think there's, there's <clears throat> two songs I completely love. And they put me in a mood every time I hear them. And that's the, I believe it's the stylist, the stylistics. People make the world go round. I mean, I, that is such of like stuff they're saying resonates today. And, you know, Coogee raps in the streets of New York. Those like, I, I don't even, uh, in my mind, I couldn't understand how, you know, that didn't go platinum and win an award. So if I was to say, I couldn't say album, but I know those two songs are very powerful to me. Do you have an album that you've got that is one of your favorite of all time? This is honestly the hardest question. Literally everybody I ask, I think I've only had two people who like come up with it like that. Everybody else. And I think even myself, I don't have an answer to this question, but that's why I'm the yeah, host. I mean, I love music. I love all types of music. But as far as, you know, like putting on an album and play it, I mean, I, I I can say the infamous was like that. Mob Deep's the infamous, like, and that's because you know, like I was there, and you know, I understood it was like some of the things they was talking about. It's like my life. Well, there you go, the infamous by Mob Deep. Obviously, check out. 
Ella G, I appreciate you coming through. I appreciate you coming on the show and giving me a time. And, you know, we entered a really, a really interesting chat from hip hop to chess to whatever is under the sun. But man, is there anything you wanted to plug? Is there anything that you you wanted to shout out before we finish up? Um, go to my website, illogy.net. Uh, Vocabulary Hercules is there if you click the music bio. You can also check out many things that I'm doing. I have the Illa Apparel Store where you can get the t-shirts, t-shirts and stuff like we have everything, t-shirts, mouse pads, aprons, sneakers, bikinis, uh, hoodies, you know, women, panties, everything, you know what I'm saying, uh, at Illa Apparel. Um, my web series, New York Minute, uh, I write it and direct it. Um, you know, it's on YouTube, you, you know, Elegy TV on YouTube. Um, it's about, it's about change and how hard it is to change in a hostile urban environment. You know what I'm saying? The main character is loosely based on me. And, you know, it's, it's people dealing with, it's like four or five friends, but you know, that live in between two buildings and it's their pattern of, you know, what they're going through in life. You know, you got one who wants to leave the game. Uh, you have one who has a family secret. You got one looking for love. One wants to be a millionaire and one is trying to connect with their family. So, you know, make sure we have two seasons. Um, we are currently filming season three season three has been slowed down because one i was in a car accident and two didn't after that months later i got COVID, so that slowed the film production down and uh yeah that's it uh most of my i'm about to transfer a lot of my music to my website so you can get vocabulary hercules there i will slowly transfer everything over there if you want to see my hip-hop videos also, it's on Elegy TV on YouTube. Um, you can see all the videos that I've done and music and everything. So, yeah. There you go. And I'm glad you're doing all right after the car accident and after getting COVID. How was all that, by the way? Um, lady ran a red light and hit me. That was, you know, pretty crazy. And um, COVID... Uh, it was annoying. It's not, <laughs> like I, you know, I do pretty good, even though I, you know, I do have a little belly, but I still do pretty good with taking care of my insides and, you know, eating the best I could. I, I can't say I did that today, though, but, you know, I still exercise and, you know, try to keep myself in shape. You know, you just never know. You know, hopefully I don't have to knock somebody out or anything like that but gotta stay in shape you know i, I got gray hairs now you know it took me 47 <laughs> years to grow this thing. 47 years to grow this thing man like i really can't grow hair on my face so i'm very proud of this this is not going nowhere well if anyone needs donations i can donate some of mine because i've been <laughs> growing a beard i shaved when i was 13 for the first time i started getting a mustache so, you wow. know, Russians, they have a, a propensity to grow grow hair. Uh, and so I've definitely uh, got that skill. Yeah, I want to go to Russia back, man. You know, I've never been. I've actually never been. 
Yeah, I want to see. I want to see Russia, man. Like everything. And I'm, I'm kind of like a, a history buff too. When I was in Germany, I started looking at a lot of Hitler stuff, and it was hilarious to me to see, like, wow, people. You know, these people were basically, basically, act like children, and was. It was crazy how, you know, they just made stuff up and they only wanted to please Hitler. Like if, you know, pretty much they just wanted to get a congratulations from him and wanted him to pat him on the back. And they started pretty much, they started pretty much like beefing with each other for, for Hitler's, uh, for Hitler's approval. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of history as well. And uh, something I actually studied was uh, the Russian Revolution uh, when I was in high school. So uh, that's really sick. Uh, I mean, here's my advice. Russian women are a bit crazy. Uh, that's just <laughs> just as a heads up. Russian people are crazy, to be honest. Like, that, I have a lot of Russian relatives, and they're all a bit insane. So that's the only thing that I'll say about, about Russians. But otherwise, you know, man, as I said, pleasure having you on the show and I appreciate you coming through and, uh, you know, hopefully we get to see you in Russia taking a few snaps and, uh, you know, you get to visit the Kremlin and stuff like that. And you can let me know how it is and maybe I'll go visit as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I want to get there. I want to see everything the world has to offer him. You know, because it's a lot of the structures and everything is is dope. Plus, I want to see like you know, the local food. You know, long as it ain't beef or pork, then I'm cool. And you know, shellfish. So, but yeah, I like the I like to see like the culture and people. You know, and the food and how this came about and that came about and so on and so forth. So, it's great conversational pieces. I got. I got to give you one thing that you got to do when you go to Russia, though. It's what? called a banya. It's a. It's like a Russian spa, and what you do, you go to a sauna, and it's really hot, and they hit you with these leaves, and they like. Oh, hit, it's like medicinal. They hit you with the leaves, and then you jump into an ice cold pool, and then you cycle mm -hmm. through it. That's like a uniquely Russian experience. So, if there's something you got to do, that's definitely something you got to do. Definitely. Okay. I'm glad I will mark that down. <laughs> awesome, man. I appreciate you coming through. We literally talked about everything on the show between chess, hip hop, you know, prodigy, Sean P, Russia, you name it. It happened on the show, but I appreciate you coming through. And as Illa said, make sure you check out his album, make sure you check out his website. And uh, I'm sure, you know, we'll see you keep dropping project projects coming through as well. Yeah. Uh, I already have the name for the next one, so I, I'm already working on it. Well, we'll keep that tight-lipped because we've released enough secrets about your chess playing. We don't want to release yeah. more secrets about hip-hop. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there you go. Make sure you check it out, as I said, and I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news also don't forget to check out my patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show bye for now